Hi everyone, I'm Josh. I've met lots of you, but if I haven't met you, hi, I'm Josh. Peace. Peace is for everyone. Come on, Josh, really? Peace? We look around our world, don't we, and we see wars, we see division, we see racially motivated attacks, we see rates of violent crime going up, we see political division further afield, and we see political division right here in the UK. We think about our post-pandemic finances, um, and we worry about that stuff. We think about our own mental health and the mental health of those who we love, and we fear, and we worry. Peace is something that we can know, maybe, but actually when we say peace is for everyone, we think that's a pipe dream. That's something that probably is not possible. And in the everyday for me, walk into the lounge and my two-year-old, instead of drawing on the piece of paper that I'd given her, was drawing directly onto the sofa. Or you walk in and my seven-year-old teenager gives me a look that only my wife really gives me, which is something like this. <laughs> peace is hard to come by. Peace in the little peace in the big. But today I want to look at this topic of peace and say actually peace being for everyone, peace being the mark of a Christian, that peace is the mark of a Christian and therefore the mark of what it looks like to be the church. So let's go on that journey today. Our passage starts, please do be looking in, we're going to go through the passage basically in order of verses and chat around it. But our passage starts with the word therefore. So what's it therefore? It's there to tell us about the first half of the chapter. What Rima speak, spoke on last week um, is to remind us that we are saved by grace. It's an excellent talk. Do go and listen to it. But Rima describes it, uh, this, this first half is the ultimate leveler, that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. All equal in our deadness and welcomed into the life, the life that we find in Christ. She encourages we're not only saved by grace, but we live in grace and we live from grace as well. And if last week was about our vertical relationship with God, today we're looking really at our horizontal relationship as well with one another, although we will look at our relationship with God as well. And, and similarly to last week, today's passage, it builds in a similar way. It goes from a negative to a positive, and it's to do with the Gentiles, their life without knowing God. And it was not a peaceful experience, and we need peace, don't we? So the first point, and this is just looking at the first couple of verses, is peaceless. Remembering what we were without Christ. Therefore, verse 11, you can look in the Bibles. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Before we get to that, let's just briefly discuss who the Gentiles are. Okay, so what, did we mean, what do we mean when we say Gentile? It's anyone who wasn't Jewish. And how did they interact, or probably better to say, didn't interact with Jews. You see, Jews and Gentiles had centuries of divide, centuries of hostility. Jews, in fact, would not shake hands with Gentiles. They wouldn't eat a meal with a Gentile. They, they wouldn't give good advice to a Gentile so that they wouldn't become unclean. They put in place a self-imposed apartheid to keep them away. If a Jewish woman was giving, sorry, a Gentile woman was giving birth, a, a Jewish midwife wouldn't get involved. Why bring another of the unclean into the world? They'd say, not to mention a, a Jewish Romeo and a Gentile Juliet. If they planned on marrying, do you think the Jewish family had a marriage, a wedding? No, they had a funeral. They mourned his death. They mourned his death because he was going from a place of being God's people to interacting with somebody who wasn't. Centuries of divide. And we get to verse 12 
where Paul is speaking to a church. He's speaking to a church and say, suddenly Jewish families are sitting in the same pew as Gentile families, and it's really, really difficult. And so he's speaking to this Gentile audience. He's saying this in verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And this was the state of a Gentile. They were friendless, separate from Christ. They were homeless, excluded from citizenship. They were hopeless and godless, without hope and without God. No future, no knowledge of God, no friendship in the family of God. And Paul isn't rubbing their faces in it. Ha ha, he's not doing that. He's saying, remember that all this was true so you can really grasp the enormity of what it is that you now have, the journey that you have come on, where you've come from. It's peaceless to be separated from God. To, to be without God in the world is like being at sea in a yacht with the GPS broken. The satellite is up there. It can tell you exactly where you are and exactly where you need to go, but you're not in contact. Remember that you were without God, Paul says to us. And, and that's where you'd still be, he says, without Jesus Christ. And let's just think about that for a moment. Lost at sea in our marriages. Lost at sea in parenting. Lost at sea in our workplace, maybe our ethical workplace decisions. Lost at sea in personal desires and peer pressure. Lost at sea in the changes and chances that life brings. Without God in sickness, suffering, and death. Remember where you were without Christ, says Paul. And that way we'll appreciate what we've got and we'll live, hopefully, in light of it. So point one, short point, is peaceless. And this is the state of a Gentile. Maybe today you identify with this, this peacelessness. That actually I don't feel peaceless. Maybe there's a specific circumstance. Maybe just in general you identify with some of what we've talked about there. Don't worry. Let's keep going together because there is hope. And that hope has a name, that, that, that name is Jesus. And that takes us to the next point, which is peacemaker. We have a peacemaker, and his name is Jesus. We need to remember what he has done for us. In his grace through the cross, he saved us, and now we have a, a, another result. Last week it was, but God in his grace saved us. And today it's, but now. With all of this in mind, what, what's the antidote? What do we do? Well, but now, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus... You who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The saving work of Jesus makes divides possible to be crossed, peaceless spaces, knowing unity and peace. And last week in the first half of the chapter, saved by grace, healing vertically our relationship with God, we are beginning to look at and heal, I hope, the horizontal relationships with one another in the church. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. And he has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Before Jesus the peacemaker, if a Gentile came near to the temple, he would literally find a dividing wall around it. He'd find a wall and they found signs, dug up signs that said, trespassers may be fined. No. Trespassers may be prosecuted. No, it said, it said trespassers will be killed, killed like dead. He said, trespassers will be killed. Go past this line, go past this wall, you die. Blocked vertically to God 
and blocked horizontally to one another, God's people only, but now, but now brought near. The war removed, he who is our peace, brought peace. And perhaps we have our own stories of exclusion, perceived and real. I only have small moments as I thought through my own life, a northerner here in London, not being in the cool rugby crowd at school and being made to know it, and realizing as well that there was this wealth divide as I was the only one not able to afford to go on our rugby tour of New Zealand, and having these little moments, or maybe in church growing up when they did a leadership academy at my church, and the older youth, some of them were invited to join this academy, and I wasn't, and I questioned, am I a leader? Is that something God wants for me? For some of you, it will be much bigger and much more stark and much more painful, excluded or passed over, a wall being put up, maybe because of wealth or not, because of the color of your skin, because of nationality, because of age, because of family background. And the Gentiles in today's passage knew that, and then some. And these situations and these circumstances, they feel peaceless, don't they? And the Jews, as God's people, were blessed, and consequently, there was a wall of hostility between them and the Gentiles who were not who were excluded from that blessing. The Gentiles were the enemy. The religious elite at the time made the law of God hostile to them. But this is what is being torn down in these few verses by Paul as he speaks to this new church. This is what's being torn down. It's absolutely massive, and it has massive implications for us today. Because if God can bring Jew and Gentile together, hearing all that we have heard, If that's something that God's peace is able to do, how much more do we start to believe that God is a God who can bring together the divides in our world, within our own church, within our own hearts? The peace for the church is what we carry as peacemakers because of peacemaker Jesus. Peaceless places, how much more can we bring together rich and poor, racial divides, class divides, gender divides? If peace is strong enough, we have to choose whether we carry that peace and opt in or we ignore it and in many ways stay divided. The peace of the Lord be always with you. So we have a choice to become someone new. Part of a new group, one set apart and described as we keep reading, and people who follow peacemaker Jesus act in this way. Verse 15 says this, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And the key phrase here, Jago highlighted earlier, one new humanity, one that is equal, one that is on the same footing regardless of any human divide, however instituted or deep. If God can heal the divide Jew versus Gentile, what can't he heal? All equal worshiping God. It's bonkers in that cultural time, and actually it's, a, it's pretty tricky now as well, isn't it? Because in our sin, humanity is programmed to, to not be equal and to not treat others as equal to us. A book that many read in GCSE sums it up. It's called Animal Farm. It says, all equal, but some people are more equal than others. And this is about pigs, but it's supposed to talk about, I guess, the state of humanity, this grasping for power and what that might look like. And I think what it's basically, I think, saying is that this idea that we're all equal and something we're supposed to walk out as the church, it's countercultural. Church should be countercultural. We should look different than the world around us, and this is one of those moments. The antidote to division create a new humanity, one equal in Christ, one free from racism, classism, sexism, ageism. Think we get it right all the time? Me neither. Me neither. So what can we do? Well, if church really is for everyone, then 
pieces for everyone as, a, as followers of Jesus. So we have to opt in. And, and I, I'm so sorry if you have ever felt excluded, especially here at HTC. Perfect Jesus isn't always reflected well by his imperfect church, but Jesus is perfect. And the more we lean into him, the more we hope in him, the more we aim to walk this out in his strength, the more we will see change in this area. Let's read on. Verse 16, and in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Far away being Gentile and near being Jew, but he's including everyone. We need to see ourselves as all God's people and be aware of our blind spots, or that there may possibly be some. And if you think you don't have any blind spots in this area, this is a conviction moment, not a moment of joy, because we all do. We all have blind spots in this area. Who are we not extending peace to in the body of Christ? Who do we avoid or fear? Who is the easy invite to lunch and who isn't? Where have we been made to feel excluded or where have we excluded ourselves? Are we willing to take this powerful peace at face value and ask Jesus to heal the divides in our heart and in reality? And whoever we are, we need reconciling with God. And that can only happen through Jesus' death on the cross, where the passage says hostility is put to death. The same peace preached to Jew and Gentile is also preached to you and I today. Whatever our past, all equal at the foot of the cross. We all, have, we all start life as sinners out of relationship with God. And we both enjoy that same relationship with God when we come to Christ. We're equal in those two things. Verse 18, for through him we, i.e. Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ has turned division into unity, hostility into peace, two groups into one. And that's what he's done in his church ever since. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. And the Jew and Gentile division may not be HTC's potential problem, but there are plenty of other differences which, apart from Christ, we could turn into division and hostility. Different jobs or incomes, nationalities, skin colors or races, different accents, backgrounds or education different tastes and preferences, different opinions on things in the Christian life, different interpretations of things in Scripture that are secondary to the, to the gospel. And the nature of sin in all of us is to seize on these differences and turn them into division and hostility, either actively disagreement or confrontation or passive hostility, avoidance or superficial relationships. And these verses, 13 to 18, Paul says, remember what Christ has done for you. All those differences are secondary compared to the primary thing that you have in common, the same need as sinners, the same need for a savior. And outside of Christ, unity and peace between utterly different people is a pipe dream. It's wishful thinking. We can only manage peace processes. We see this in our world. Whereas God's intention for the church is that it shows the world what real unity and peace between such utterly different people can look like, the outsiders go, there must be something supernatural about this. There must be something different about that group. 
They seem united. They seem to carry something different. They seem to respond to the same things that are going on in the world in a totally different way to the way that the world responds to it. They seem to respond to each other in a way that is counter what the world might often expect to see. They carry something different. I remember people saying it about the youth group that I grew up in. There's something different about that place. By God's grace, I've heard people say that about this church, but we're not there yet. We're on a journey. Why don't you come on it with us? So point one, we were peaceless. We have a peacemaker in Jesus. And now we also have the chance to be peace-filled. The chance to be peace-filled, remembering who we are now, who we are because of Jesus. Now we have access to this peace. It's an active peace by the Holy Spirit in us. And there's gonna be times in church where we find ourselves in the majority and sometimes where we find ourselves in the minority. And in those moments, as the majority, let's bring the minority with us. The reality is we're gonna find ourselves in both camps at different times, so we need to get good at walking alongside each other in difference, at walking alongside each other when there is, there is difficulty. And, and really, this chapter is a chapter as a whole because we have to do this through the grace of God anyway, and knowing his grace for us first, as Rima spoke about last week. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Like the Gentiles, we can become this peace. We are part of this new humanity in God's kingdom and of God's family. We can become the church. And if you call yourself a Christian today, then you are a carrier of this peace by the Holy Spirit in you. You can know it vertically from God and you can share it horizontally with one another. When we look along the pew, do you see someone different to you? Well, maybe by the descriptions and the definitions of the world, you'd have to say, yes, I do. But in this new humanity, our first Holy Spirit thought should be brother and sister because we are all in Christ. Whoever you are, we have this common identity factor. And these verses and the verse we're gonna look at in a minute, they talk about three pictures. Picture number one, we are God's kingdom. We're not here on a temporary visa, but we have birth certificates. We are here in this kingdom of peace. We're God's family, and kingdom's one thing, but family's something so much more intimate. We can call God Father, and we can call one another brother and sister. That's what we're invited into in this passage, no matter what our background is, no matter who we are. What would you do for family? How would our interactions look different if we saw each other in that way? Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. If we try really hard, that's not enough. It's not about how hard we try, it's about building our foundation on Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone, he's the way that this is possible by keeping him at the center of who we are, what we do, how we walk this peace out. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The third picture, we become God's temple. All of this only being in Jesus. But when in Jesus, we're not just in God, but he is in us by his spirit. God lives in us as individuals and also collectively as the church. You see, the church is the plan, it's the only plan, for a peace-filled humanity. You and I are it. 
And these three images all build to peace. A characteristic of the world is disunity and hostility. Imagine if the church was the opposite. Imagine if you and I carried something different. We carried unity and peace. And it starts here. It starts here, and then it spills out into our world. So we can make our own choice on this today. Because there needs to be something different about the church. Peace should make us distinctive. And when someone's distinctive and deliberate about that distinctiveness, it's attractive. People will ask, what is going on here? We have to carry it. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Church isn't the building uh, we are. And if it fell down now, we'd be a bit gutted because of Revitalized 250. But assuming we weren't crushed by the bricks falling from the ceiling, the church would still be here because it's you and me. And Christ's vision for a new humanity is possible when we opt in. We decide that we can be peace-filled. This passage is why we can say with confidence the title of the whole series, that church is for everyone. The church is beautifully diverse when done well. And we have one of the defining characteristics that should all be the same, that we're in Christ. And none of this aspirational vision of a new humanity is possible with great strategy or well-placed outreach work. It takes us as individuals to opt into being in Christ and reflecting that in our relationships with God and with one another. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Come on, we can do this. We say this in the run-up to communion to be right with one another. Peace is powerful. Peace is unifying. Peace builds, it doesn't tear down. Peace comes by the Holy Spirit. Peace helps us to be the church. Peace keeps us thinking how we can include. Peace joins us together. This peace, it sends us out. The peace of the Lord be always with you. There was no peace for you and I before Jesus, and we get to opt in everyone because peace is for everyone. Peace for today, peace for tomorrow, and peace forevermore. Peace that heals us and heals the world around us. Peace that sends us out into that very world. Peace that is the foundation on which the church will be built. Remember, the peace of God is our guide. Remember, we know this peace that goes beyond our understanding and our circumstance. It's peace in a peaceless world. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Josh, why do you keep making us do the peace? It's because it's active. It's because it's something we share with one another. It's because it has power. It's because we should and can and and have the option and the opportunity to speak it over one another, built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We say it back because it's something to share, something that has power to shift. When we say the peace to one another, that can be a real thing, not just a moment. That can be a real thing where we are saying sorry where we need to, where we recognize in our own minds, I'm going to be a bringer of peace in this community, in this church, because I've known this peace from God. We're being built. Peace is for everyone in Christ. It's powerful, hostility-shattering peace. Will you carry it? In a moment, we're going to be able to respond um, by taking communion together. Jager's going to lead us in that in just a second. But our world needs peace, doesn't it? The church needs peace doesn't it? So will you carry it? So we've gone from peaceless to peace-filled because of peacemaker Jesus. It's not about how hard we try. It's about saying yes to being in Christ. We can know it in everything. 
And actually the context of this passage and the way that peace was won between Jew and Gentile gives us confidence in this. It gives us confidence in how powerful this peace is. And so when you're looking at your circumstance or your situation, you're putting it against what was possible in this moment, this centuries of divide brought together by the peace of Jesus Christ. When you're looking at your circumstance or your situation and you are claiming or speaking peace over it, that's the kind of powerful peace that we're talking about. It puts it into perspective. It gives us confidence, I hope. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna take communion together and we're gonna be guided through that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this beautiful reality that we can know your peace in all circumstances, that we can know it because of you, peacemaker Jesus, that we can be peace-filled and be able to walk in the areas that seem so totally peaceless because of the power of your Holy Spirit in us. Thank you for the confidence that we can take from the power of your peace in this passage. And God, we ask that you help us to be part of this beautiful picture of what your peace has won, of what your peace has done, and of what we can do as carriers of that peace. Help us where we're feeling challenged to bring that to you. And help us where we're feeling encouraged to take that from here and not let it settle. In Jesus' name, amen.